it going, A's fans, and welcome to episode 110 of the Locked On A's podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, noted baseball fan, Jason Burke, and today we have the trade deadline preview for the Oakland A's. Uh, there are so many teams out there. I might have to do another one of these. Uh, I spent roughly most of the game and uh, the A's won this one. I didn't get to watch most of it. Jesus Luzardo dealt. Didn't get to see a lot of it. I did see some of his slider though. It was great. But uh, yeah, there was so many people to like do deep dives on and stuff. So I uh, got that coming for you guys. I might have to do another one of these. We'll see. Uh, so in the first segment, I'm going to be talking about some of the trade candidates that are fits for the A's. And in the second segment, I'll cover a couple of players on like a wish list that the A's could go after potentially and how that would come about. So uh, that's what we got for today. Also, make sure to follow us on social media at Locked On A's on Twitter and Instagram. I'm by Jason B on Twitter. And you can email us any questions that you have to LockedOnAthletics at gmail.com. So we're talking about the trade deadline preview here in a second. But uh, as, you know, longtime listeners know, I do social justice stuff on here too. Uh, it, it It's a dual podcast. We do uh, things, you know, that are happening around baseball and uh, bring a voice to things that, you know, need to be talked about. I've done episodes on the Black Panthers because of their Oakland connection when there was no baseball and I needed things to talk about. Uh, I did the anti-Semitism podcast and talking about how that's bad, obviously, uh, with Gabrielle of Locked On Red Sox just a couple weeks ago after the the salute from uh, A's coaching staff. And uh, just this week, I talked about racism involved in the unwritten rules of baseball. So, you know, uh, you know what you're in for at this point, I think. Which brings us to our latest topic, and that is uh, last night, Reds announcer Tom Brennan used a homophobic slur with a hot mic that when he just thought he was off air. And by the way that he hit the hard F on the word, you could tell that it wasn't his first time saying it. And in a weird, surreal moment, he apologized to the camera on air that the camera was facing him, not watching the game. But then there was a home run and he called it, which was really weird. He was all like mopey about it, but he still called the home run in the middle of apologizing and trying to keep his job, which I just found very strange. And he took like 10 seconds doing that, and then he returned to his apology, and it was just a run-of-the-mill apology, nothing special or anything of substance. Uh, the first people he apologized to were his bosses and co-workers, which, you know, great way to start off an apology, apologizing to the people that he said, literally signed my paycheck. Uh, that's a quote. So... Yeah, don't apologize to the people who you were marginalizing and, you know, talking about. Apologize to the higher-ups, because, you know, that's how things work. Uh, sweet apology. He also used another bad apology trope in saying, I want to apologize to anyone I've offended, which is just not how you do it, like, at all. Um... Again, I'm not in PR, but I know what a good apology sounds like, and this was not it. Uh, there's, a like, a minute clip of it, and ten seconds of it is him calling a home run. So, uh, great job on him. Uh, he also said that this is not who I am, which I'm going to call BS on. Uh, there was fire in the pronunciation of the word, and it is impossible to stumble into a slur if it is not something that you regularly say. Also, the true mark of a person's character is how they act when nobody is watching. So, this is, in fact who he is. And after the game, the Reds said that they have zero tolerance for this and that he's been suspended. And I think that they're probably going to end up firing him uh, because that's actually what zero tolerance means. So that's the end of that rant. But uh, on a lighter note for Reds news, uh, Reds outfielder Jesse Winker was struck out by his former teammate Matt Harvey. And afterwards, when he was walking to the dugout, he gave him a thumbs up. So uh, that was really cool. And uh, good job on the Reds for, I guess, I, I assume that they didn't know what was going on during the game because, you know, he was announcing the broadcast. But, you know, good job on, on all of that stuff. So I thought that was kind of cool. All right, so let's get into this A's trade talk, which is why you guys tuned in in the first place. I started with looking at who's been performing well for the A's and who's not been performing well. And the two worst performers have been, obviously, Chris Davis. He has a 50 WRC plus with a 188 BABIP, which could mean that he could be 
you know, just getting unlucky a little bit, but he's still only hitting 146. So even if he raises Babbitt by like 70 and that raises his batting average to like uh, 220 or so, then it's still not great, but it'd be a lot better than what we're getting right now. Marcus Simeon is uh, hitting 223. Oh, this is going into uh, last night's game, so I'll have to update it, but whatever. Uh, and he has a 273 on base percentage. Not great numbers. 76 WRC plus. Also, not great. That's 24% below league average. He was a top three AL MVP vote getter last year, and he is 24% below average. So that's not great. Uh, one guy that stood out to me, though, is Sean Murphy. Uh, before I started doing all this, I, I was like, let's see where everybody's going to see if my, you know, uh, interpretation of how guys are performing matches up with the stats. And then we'll go from there and look at trade targets. And I was like, Hey, maybe if the Phillies fall out of it, maybe JT real Mudo becomes an, op- uh, you know, an option for the A's to go after because he's only under contract for the rest of this season. So you get, you know, a veteran guy who's hitting re- like 280 or something like that. He would be an improvement. I would, I, you know, thought, uh, Sean Murphy's doing fine. He's got a 123 WRC plus, so he is 23% above league average at the plate. He has a team best 93.5 exit velocity. He's hitting the snot out of the ball, you guys. He's the best on the team at that. Also, he has a uh, 368 on base percentage, and obviously these stats are uh, coming into last night's game, so they're slightly outdated, but they do paint the picture of you know how things are going overall. So, with all that in mind, I have like. Obviously, the A's need a starting pitcher, probably another bullpen piece, and then maybe somebody at DH. The DH part is the hard part, though, because they'd probably also have to move Chris Davis in order to free up that spot because he's also due $16.75 million next year. And you you can't have two DH types at any point, let alone for if they're signed for 2021 as well. So it it becomes a tricky situation if he's there because you don't want to, you know, piss him off this year uh, by basically taking his job away and then ask him to go be better next year. It just creates a whole different thing. And uh, I don't think that that's, you know, fair to him at all. So you'd probably have to move him if you're going to get somebody else to be the regular DH So with all of this in mind, I'm just going to start by talking about uh, the first trade partner off the gate, and that is the San Francisco Giants. Uh, Up until this spring training, the original spring training, there had not been a trade between the Giants and A's in like 30 years. It had been forever. Um, And that's how we got Burt Smith. But today I'm going to be talking about uh, the player that has been the most talked about in our mentions at Locked on A's, and... That is the potential trade target, uh, Johnny Cueto, and the pros for him are, you know, obvious. He's pitched in the World Series and is a veteran presence that the A's could use in their rotation. That said, 435 ERA after his start last night, coupled with this being his first full season of pitching since recovering from Tommy John surgery, he's still on the mend, so you're not necessarily sure how many innings he has on that arm. He hasn't pitched more than 60 innings the last two years. And uh, he comes with a bit of a price tag. He is due roughly $22 million in 2021, and he has a $22 million team option for 2022 that comes with a $5 million payout. So for a team with limited financial flexibility, I'm not sure that the A's are going to be ponying up for Johnny Cueto just because of the financial price tag that comes with him. Sure, the Giants could move him and eat like half of his salary, and then the A's would be paying like $11 million, and then on the hook for probably all five million of his buyout when they don't take him to 2022 but what's that prospect cost going to be uh it'd be interesting i don't think that they're going to be giving up any long-term assets for somebody that they're going to have to pay that much money for so i don't know but there is somebody else on the giants 
that could be intriguing to them. This player is also in their starting rotation, also pitched well against the A's. He has an 1192 strikeouts per nine innings, a 175 walks per nine innings, and a 421 ERA, but a 311 FIP. That guy is Kevin Gosman. He is signed to a one-year deal, so the cost of acquisition would be low, especially lower than Johnny Cueto, where you're not having to pay him next year, too. And my best guess at the cost of acquisition for Kevin Gossman would be somebody of the caliber of, like, Seth Brown, potentially. Maybe even not that high, because you're getting a month plus the playoffs of Kevin Gossman if you trade for him. So I don't know that even it would be that high. I We'll see. Uh, the pros and cons for each pitcher are basically polar opposites. So the pitcher that they target is probably going to be dependent on which direction they want to go and what their priorities are as a franchise. If they want to go all in for it, maybe they go Johnny Cueto. If they want to, you know, dip their toes in the water and, you know, see what they can do with an unproven guy who hasn't pitched in the playoffs, Kevin Gossman might be the guy. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, if they make a trade for the Giants, which starting pitcher they're going after. And actually, I misspoke. Kevin Gossman has had uh, 10 innings of relief pitching appearance in the playoffs he has a 270 era in that time frame so he he does have a little bit of experience but he's not you know the elite caliber guy that johnny cueto is um moving on i looked a little bit into detroit they don't necessarily match up they got a bunch of young guys and they're not going to be giving up any of their young talent i i wouldn't hope (laughs) from their standpoint at least if i'm a tigers fan so i don't think that they're there miguel cabrera is under contract for like another 40 years and he's making like 30 million dollars a year so he's not the guy uh moving on to pittsburgh though trevor williams is the guy that i would think that the a's would want to go after and add him to their roster he has a little bit more team control which is something that's a big plus for somebody that the a's would target in this trade deadline so that they don't have to come up with somebody to replace fires. And I know that they've got younger pitchers, but uh, you want veterans to some degree in the rotation. Um, so Trevor Williams could be that guy. He has an 84.4 exit velocity against, which is great. But now that you're all excited about him, I talked to the Locked On Pirates host, and he said that their new pitching coach really, really, really loves Trevor Williams. So he might not even be available to uh, add to the green and gold experience. Uh, That being said, Keone Kella, he's a reliever. He could be an option out of the bullpen from the Pittsburgh Pirates. He has some closing experience in his time with the Rangers and has just come back from injury. So his cost of acquisition is not going to be that high, I I would imagine, Uh, considering that he's going to be a free agent following this season. He's had two innings. He has like a 4-5 ERA in two innings. And he's been decent over the course of his career. But, you know, at this point, he's kind of a wild card. And I think that he could be an option to replace Trevino or Mengden, like I've been talking about, and offer that upside that uh, I'm looking for from one of those two spots. So that could be a way to, you know, improve the bullpen Maybe we'll see. Um, also, speaking of, you know, a similar target would be the Baltimore Orioles. They are currently in wild card position, but if they do decide to sell, Michael Givens would be, you know, a, a guy that I could see the A's going after. Givens is not allowed to run in nine innings this season, and his strikeout rate of 13 per nine could come in handy if, you know, extra innings become a thing where you need strikeouts with that runner on second base. So his walks. Uh, per nine of four is a little bit higher than you want to see, but, you know, he, he could be another one of those buy low kind of guys, see what you get out of him, and then let him hit the free agent market. 
Um, the added bonus with Givens, though, is that he has one more year of control. So with Petit and Hendricks hitting free agency, that would plug up one potential hole in 2020. Givens struggled in 2019, holding a 4.57 ERA. So Baltimore could be a little bit more motivated to sell on Givens with his stat line as good as it is right now. Moving on to Seattle, though, we got Taiwan Walker. I've talked about him a lot. He did really well against the A's. Um, I just really enjoy the, the pedigree that has followed him along, even though he hasn't always been great at the major league level. I want to see Taiwan Walker in green and gold. I think that he is a perfect fit for the green and gold as a reclamation project. He's doing okay this year, but uh, he has a 4.05 ERA and a modest strikeout in walk numbers. So he's more of that stabilizing force kind of guy where they could probably get him for like two years after Mike Fires is gone. And he can kind of just take over the Mike Fires role in the rotation, but he'd be a little bit younger. And, uh, you know, I, I think I'd like to see him. Uh, he wouldn't be really a flashy addition, but he could definitely play a role for this team. And uh, he's a free agent after the season. So if it works out, great. If not, you know, whatever. He could also be the long man if they need him to be, and uh, he, he can check guys down. But keeping this train a-rolling, we got the Kansas City Royals. They are, according to my math, two games out of the second wild card spot, and the Lockdown Royals host told me that they are still going for it. So uh, I don't know if they're going to be selling or not. But I decided to persist, and I asked about the availability of Whit Merrifield, and uh, he said that it would be a tough sell to the fan base with what the front office has been preaching. But I'm going to read you his stats anyway, because I think that he'd be a great fit. Uh, he has a 136 WRC+, plus, so he is 36% above league average. He only strikes out 15% of the time, which would be the lowest strikeout rate on the A's. He's currently batting 300, which is in line with his career stats, and he's a versatile player. He plays mostly second, but he has also spent time at first base in all three outfield positions this year. His 28.3 feet per second sprint speed would make him the fastest player on the A's. And if he were to take over second base for the club, he'd also rank in the top five in sprint speed among major league second basemen. This all said, it's not a guarantee that the Royals will be selling and or that he's even going to be available. So an overpay would likely have to happen here to bring Merrifield to Oakland. Uh, Merrifield is currently 31 and is signed for two more years at $6.75 million and $2.75 million and comes with a third year team option at $10.5 million. So uh, yeah, they're, they're going to have to pony up if they want with Merrifield, but I think he'd be a nice addition to the lineup. So that wraps up some of the guys that they could be going after in the second half here. I got two people on the wish list for the A's. So stay tuned for that one. But first, I'm going to tell you guys a little bit about Built Bar. Built Bar, they are back. They got six new flavors, including caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake. That's my favorite. I know that you guys have heard that enough by now, but it's my favorite. And then there's carrot cake and apple almond crisp. The 12 original flavors are all still there. So if you were a fan of coconut almond, raspberry, German chocolate, peanut butter, banana bread, mint brownie, salted caramel, and more... They're all still there. All the bars are covered in 100% chocolate. They are soft and easy to chew. They are great for the health-conscious person. You can lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. Who doesn't love a nice treat? Here's a rundown of the nutrition facts on the cookies and cream. You got 17 grams of protein, 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 grams of net carbs. It doesn't get much better than that, you guys. And what they're doing right now is they have a promo code if you would like to try any of these. 
All you got to do is go to BuiltBar.com, use promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get $10 off your next order. Use the promo code LOCKEDON, and you get $10 off your first order at BuiltBar.com. And also, what they're doing is they have a free cooler with the purchase while supplies last. You get a little cooler, free little bars, and uh, it's just a great way to have a nice little refreshing treat on the road and uh, doing all that stuff. So yeah, uh, go to BuiltBar.com, enter promo code LOCKEDON, that is one word, LOCKEDON, and you get $10 off your next order at BuiltBar.com. And we are back talking more trade talk about, uh, well, this this part's the wish list. So uh, get ready for some outlandish predictions or, you know, thoughts. I know that these sound a little bit off the wall, and I don't think that there's a high likelihood of either of these happening, but there is a chance, and I'll explain my reasoning as I go. Uh, first, as, as you may have noticed, I left Boston off. I know that Boston is kind of a terrible team. They could use some pitching. The A's have some young pitching that they could be, you know, make available, but it's going to take a very specific kind of trade to make it happen. So let's let's talk about the Red Sox and let's talk specifically about J.D. Martinez. Uh, you may be familiar with him. He's a very good baseball player. He is primarily a designated hitter. He can kind of roam the outfield, but he's not great at it. His defensive metrics, not, not super. So you don't want him playing in the outfield, which basically limits him to designated hitter, which is where... Chris Davis already plays. But before I get into the full trade and all that stuff, just a little bit of background on J.D. Uh, Martinez right now. He's batting 244 with a 330 on-base percentage, which are actually low for him. The batting average, you know, whatever. But the on-base percentage is there, and that's nice. Uh, and But these are both particular, the drops are both particularly due to him not being able to use the replays of his swings in between at bats because of the whole Astros thing. And he's a big swing guy where he loves watching replays of his stuff. He's not like a cheater like the Astros, but he likes to watch and, you know, learn from it and see what he's doing wrong, correct his mechanics in game, and he can't do that right now. So uh, pitchers are able to take advantage of him a little bit more than they than they used to. Uh, and also, he's playing on a really crappy team, so he probably isn't in the middle of COVID. He doesn't really give a crap that he's there. But putting him back into a playoff hunt could revitalize him. It, it's a chance. Uh, I don't know if it's a chance that you necessarily want to throw a bunch of prospects at, but I mean, maybe you do. Uh, that This all said, the only way that this deal will get done is if Chris Davis is involved in the return package to Boston. Uh, the A's don't have a lot of room for both players, and both are under contract for 2021. So Martinez is due $19.5 million in 2021 and can opt out of his deal after that season. If he stays for 2022, he gets $19.5 million in 2022. So if he turns it around, he's probably going to hit free agency. No sweat off the ace back. That's fine. Uh, if he stays, they probably look to try and trade him. But, uh, you know, that, that's just uh, that's a deal for another day. Uh, and this may be too much of an ask is the trade proposal that I'm sort of putting together. But if the Red Sox paid like three to five million dollars of Martinez's salary for next year to offset the increase from KD to JD, they could probably get a decent prospect out of it just by buying a prospect, which is not an uncommon practice. Uh, they might be even get able to get two guys, maybe they could throw in like a Dalton Jeffries or something like that. And, you know, give them like a, a pretty decent prospect for JD Martinez if they just eat a little bit of the contract, which they were going to do anyway. But, uh, you know, they, they get Chris Davis, who's, you know, not bad. Maybe they can turn him around. Red Sox also get a couple of pitching prospects. So that would, you know, be a nice thing. I don't think that JD Martinez is like Mookie Betts in that town at all. So I don't think that uh, they need to, although, uh, after the Mookie Betts trade, they kind of want to be like, "Hey, I would look look at it, look at this package we got for you know our, our other good players." So uh, that might be 
working against him. Uh, the pros of this deal are that the Red Sox need pitching, obviously, and the A's have young pitching and are able to develop more pitching if they need to. So the A's can kind of replenish if they need to, uh, whether that's via free agency, trade, or whatever. They can kind of fix guys a little bit and create their own surplus of pitching like they usually do. Uh, the biggest con here would be that the A's signed Chris Davis past his contract, which was set to expire, which is not necessarily common for the A's front office to do. And if they traded the first guy that signed the deal since Sean Doolittle, who they also traded, it's just not a good look for other guys that they may want to sign long term. Uh, and that's a relatively big drawback. Again, they have to weigh a bunch of different things uh, moving forward here. It's not just talent on the field. It's also the perception of the of the franchise. So another franchise-altering move that could happen in a dream world, maybe. But, you know, I'm, I'll lay out the case. And as I said yesterday, this deadline is going to be different than others because they're not going to be able to scout other minor league systems at all. That's just not a thing that's going to be happening. So trusting another team's front office to give you the right scouting reports and just be a straight shooter with you is going to be a big part of making any sort of a deal. That goes with the Giants where, you know, they know Farhan Zaidi and there are other ones on the list. But in interest of time, I will not list all of the uh, front offices that, that the A's are cool with, but I will go to the Washington Nationals. Um, if the Nationals fall out of it and they're kind of close to falling out of it, then they have the best pitcher that could become available on their staff. And with uncertainty circling around this season and potentially next, Max Scherzer could become available. I, I don't know that he's going to, because I know that he's beloved in Washington, D.C. But maybe. I mean, he's 35. He's a bulldog on the mound. And adding Mad Max will give the A's playoff percentages a, a huge boost. And it would make them a formidable force come October. So that's nothing to sneeze at. Uh, I'll go through some of the quick stuff. Uh, he signed for 2021 at $34.5 million, which is a crazy amount of money. But if the Nationals paid a good chunk of that, they could probably get a haul for him too. I, I mean, they'd get you know a decent amount of money off their books and also be able to replenish for moving forward. Is he going to pitch past 2021? I don't know. Do you want to take advantage of it while you can with a weird season and a weird schedule and, you know, maybe not even missing them that much. It's something to consider. You have to think about, it. I mean, if next season is also impacted and you get 60 games, what are you giving up? Like 12, 13 starts, maybe a couple of playoff starts, 15, that's half a season of Max Scherzer and you can get a haul for him and not have to pay him. Yeah. I think that's something worth considering. And even if he's pitching a full season, you give up 40 starts of Max Scherzer. You got to think about it. And, you know, the Nationals front office, they they got some smart guys over there. And I know that this is a crazy option. And uh, if he becomes available, the A's might not pony up as much as, you know, a team like the Yankees or something like that. But the Nats need young players. And if they hope to compete again soon, then trading their star pitcher with one year left until he possibly retires isn't a bad way to replenish the system. They have Eric Thames, Estrubal Cabrera, Howie Kendrick, and Starlin Castro all on this club and all in starting position roles. Uh, which is a little bit nuts. Uh, they also have Juan Soto, Trey Turner, and Victor Robles to build around, and a solid rotation, even if you take Max Scherzer out of the equation. They have a pretty decent rotation. You give them a couple of extra pieces, they're all of a sudden really good again, and then they're much younger, and then they're cheaper, and they can go on the free agent market and go get other people. I'm making a very good case to, for the Nationals for trading him, um, and I don't know what it's going to take to get him. 
honestly. I, it'll probably be a decent amount if they're going to pay, you know, $16 million to not have him play for the team. Uh, but it would probably start with one of the A's young, young pitchers, whether that be Caprillian, Holmes, or Jeffries. And then Franklin Barreto as a wild card, you know, throw in sprinkle piece. And then uh, maybe another piece like Chad Pender or something like that. Um, Chad Pender could become available this trade deadline because he is a major league piece. There's limited options of players that you can trade. And with, you know, Vimeo Machin, Tony Kemp, and Sheldon Noisy, who has three options left, they, they've kind of got second covered if they needed to. And, you know, Machin can be a versatile role player too. Uh, Tony Kemp, same thing. Sheldon Noisy can play in the infield. Uh, they, they've got other options for the Chad Pinder role right now. And, uh, you know, if somebody wants Chad Pinder, I don't know that he's no longer available for an opposing club. So um, I, I think that, you know, uh, Frank Lombaretto's on the trade block, Chad Pinder, uh, if somebody wants Daniel Mangdon, he could be there. Or if they get somebody, you know, of a higher caliber, he could be put on waivers. Um, Lou Trevino could be a trade piece as well. Although they might want to keep him just as a depth option too. I don't know. Maybe they're higher on him than I am on this podcast. Um, yeah, but I mean, I, I feel like some of the, uh, one of the three young A's pitchers is probably going to be on the move. Not Pucker Luzardo, but you know, the, uh, the Caprillian Holmes Jeffries combo. I think one of them, if the A's really want to go after it, and add a legitimate piece, one of those three guys could be on the block. So uh, yeah, that is my take on the A's traded deadline. If you need more names from teams that could potentially fall out of it, then, uh, you know, let me know, because this is kind of fun. It took me a few hours to, you know, compile all the data and, you know, see who was actually good and not. But uh, if I can go through any team, it could be a lot more fun. Um, so yeah, let me know if you guys want another one of these for next week. Uh, and again, as I said yesterday, I do think that the A's could potentially make their big move ahead of next weekend series against the Houston Astros, just so that they can, you know, take as many of those games as possible before uh, traveling to Houston and uh, facing a big divisional foe. Oh, also the Astros won today. So, uh, you know, everything stays the same. A's won four to one. Uh, I alluded to that slightly. Uh, so yeah, pretty much everything stayed the same atop the AL West. Nothing big. But uh, I'm going to get out of here because I have taken up enough of your day already. But I will be back to take up more of your time tomorrow. So in the meantime, stay indoors and celebrate good times, Oakland. Keep wearing those masks because it is smoky as hell outside. Uh, stay away from forest fires and, you know, be careful when you're breathing. And I will talk to you guys tomorrow.